Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, what's going on with you, man? Oh, well, uh, you know, I, I did actually take my big trip to Florida, as we had discussed on the, the, last, uh, the last episode. Yeah, and I just want to say it's been nice knowing you. Yeah, you know, I was I was concerned. I got to say, you know, even as of the the day before, you know, because I was I I was I had a plane ticket. I was scheduled to fly, so I asked my wife the day before. I said, "Should I be concerned about flying like this? You know, would it be better to take that ten hour drive?" And she goes, "No, you'll be fine." I thought, okay, well, you know, she's uh, usually very uh, cautious. If she thinks I'm, I'm, it's going to be okay, uh, all right, well, that, that gives me some confidence. So, so I go ahead and I fly. Now, I got to tell you, I'm sure this wouldn't be the case like uh, Thanksgiving week or Christmas week, but there were so few people in the airport, um, so few people on the airplane. I you know, had the mask on the whole time. I was entered you know, and, and left, and I actually felt safer than being in the grocery store believe it or not really but it's florida you went to florida so you're fucked uh well i did go to florida and yeah. now the whole the you know the the people i was staying with there we were you know at these people's home who they they'd been extensively tested they're you know uh, staying away from people um you know a lot of mask wearing when we were around anyone but they didn't else. stay away from you though did they um, no, well, we were, we were actually all in a, in a home together. So yeah, there was, there was some contact and, and we did go to, uh, to Disneyland or no Disney world. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, went to the animal kingdom there and went to Epcot center and, uh, you know, had the mask on the whole time there. But again, that's like, I don't know, 20%, 25% capacity or something. This was last Saturday. Uh, well, we played a, a house concert on Saturday. It was outside in their, their backyard. All right. So in two weeks, you'll be dead. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> like I said, it's been nice knowing you, Renee. Well, Manny, it, that will be a, a load off your shoulders if, if that, in fact, happens. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that it. I'm going to I'm thinking I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> All right. But... Uh, yeah, you know, so you were telling me how if you do die, uh, mm-hmm. uh, are, 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 you know, you're a Jew. So, uh, what kind of yes. funeral? You guys bury really quickly, right? Yeah, yeah, we like to like to get them in the ground, uh, you know, within a day if we can do it. Right, but also, but you're really cheap. So, are you doing sure. the whole coffin thing, or it's so much cheaper to do cremation? Well, no, you know, I actually already own uh, a couple of plots for me and my wife. I have okay. them all picked out. Okay, so that's pretty expensive for you, though, right? No, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I think the way we acquired these plots was uh, we were members of another synagogue, and when our synagogue uh, um, joined another one, we had some assets, and some of them were uh, these burial plots. So they just divided them up amongst the uh, the congregation, and you know, 
Lucky me, I got one. Kind of like a kind of like a group a group discount, right? Something, something yeah, like sounds like a group discount. Yeah, uh, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the Jews hate to pay retail, so you know. Right, uh, exactly. All right, so you're in Florida. You did this gig. Did you fucking use your paper towels? No, well, I took. Now I gotta say, back to the paper towels. I was thinking about you, Manny, because while they do have, uh, you know, very nice uh, uh, towels and sheets and stuff in the home, um, they also had, as an added uh, sort of, uh, you know, hygiene issue, they had these. Like it's kind of a cross between a paper towel and a Kleenex, but it comes out of a box like a Kleenex box, and you can put it in your bathroom so that as people wash their hands in the bathroom they're not using that same hand towel you know over and over so you have a, a nice clean hand towel so again the 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 paper towel method you know it's uh it's it's solid man but i did have to say those those fancy paper towels that they had i was i was uh you took some home with you i didn't but i thought mm, boy my wife would like those <laughs> it'd be right up her alley Cool. So yeah, return back home. You know, the it's a uh, it's it's always nice to go on the road. There's a little bit of suspension of reality. You know, it's hard to deal with problems that are home. So you tend to just kind of put them aside and not be too concerned about them. So, well, that's what you do when you know you're going to die in two weeks. Okay. Well, I guess I could just do that even though I'm home yeah. now. If if, yeah. if I'm going to think that, but I, I I don't think that's going to happen. I I I you know Susan Cowsill is very uh, um, cautious and and paranoid, and she was we were following her lead, and you know certain places we'd go to and in Disney World where it would be like an enclosed space, and she'd just like no 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 let's 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 go somewhere else. I'm like so, you guys were all on the same plane together. No, they actually drove. There were some people that drove and and drove a bunch of equipment over because uh, they they brought a PA system and amps and and uh, keyboard equipment and stuff. So it was actually easy for them, easier for them to uh, take that stuff. And uh, you know, I, I, it it would have in the end, it would have been really difficult for me to squeeze into that vehicle with all the equipment they brought. So it it all worked out perfectly, frankly. Cool. So how's your week going, Manny? I know that the kids are all out of off campus now. Has that affected your uh, your business in any way? Does it slow down? Uh, well, no, I no, not really. I mean, uh, it's the same as has always been. I mean, everything's pretty much done online anyway, so it hasn't affected a thing for me. Okay, I'm, gla- so still- I'm glad they're gl- gone. You know, I'm right. glad those kids are gone. You know, I, I can, you know, they're just a bunch of fucking, you know, rich kids from all over the country who are, think they're so privileged and, you know, and I'm glad they're gone. Okay. Well, they're coming back. The bad news is they are coming back, Manny. Um, uh, but I, I think, well, yeah, just like your son, he's coming back. So yeah, it is bad news. Yeah. 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 Well, but, but then you have a job, so that's good news. So it's good news. Yeah. I have a job. I work for a living. Right, right. Yeah, we all work for a living, Manny. Nobody gets anything for free in this life. That's one thing I've, I've figured out. Uh, that's not true. Some people get a lot of shit for free. Uh, hasn't happened for me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess, there's, uh, uh, I guess there are people that, uh, sure, I wouldn't say it doesn't happen, but uh, so I think, I think the campus is going to have a long break, very long break, since they went off, they, 
they the break started early and uh, I think they're going to push it later. Is is that correct? You would know better than I do. Is, is I have no be, idea uh, what you're talking about. No. Yeah, I think there's. I, I'm I think hoping. Gonna, I'm hoping they do push it back because I don't want. You know, uh, they everyone thinks this COVID's going away. It's not going away, man. Even with the vaccine. No. And I'm not taking that vaccine, man. I'm not taking that vaccine. No way. Well, you know, you, that will leave you and your family at, at risk of exposure, you know. Why? I, I, you know, I think it's a Chinese conspiracy to make us all mutants. So I'm not taking that fucking vaccine. Really, man? Manny, I've never heard you uh, heard you um, voice these uh, concerns before. It's a, it's a little alt-right of you. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I, you know, I, it's not all right. It's just the way I feel. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, those are, that's some of the kind of theories you would hear on like a Newsmax or, uh, uh, whatever. I don't know what that is. What's a Newsmax? OAN. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like the, if Fox News isn't quite, uh, crackpot right wing enough for you, they've, they've, uh, come up with a a few more right wing flavors. I've told you for months now, Renee, alcohol is my vaccine. Okay. And it's been working. Right on, Manny. Right on. Okay. You know, I've said that forever. Yes, you have. For the last eight months, I've said that. Yes. Alcohol yes, is my vaccine, and it's okay. been working. And, you know, right. I, I haven't had the flu shot in 20 years, and I've never gotten the flu. Yep, yep. Well, that's... Not sure that there's a there's a, a causal relationship there, but there certainly is a correlation. I would I would give you that. So what else is going on in your in your world, Mr. Chevrolet? Well, I thought I saw something this week that I thought would you know uh, you would be really interested in is your, your hero, your idol, Bob Dylan, sold yes. all his music. I saw that for t- like what two hundred million dollars, three hundred million, three hundred million, three hundred million. million. Okay, and he did it on the day John Lennon was murdered. So hmm. that's not very cool about that. Are you okay with that? It was going, it was maybe announced that day. Yeah. Are you okay with that, Renee? Sure. You know, because I know he's a big, he's a, he's a, he's your idol. You love Bob Dylan. He's your I, idol. I love, you know, I think um, most music fans love Bob Dylan. Go ahead. You know, what's funny is about the Bob Dylan and John Lennon. There's a video mm-hmm. of those two guys in a limo and Bob Bob was a little lit, and he had been, uh, I guess you could say, overserved, and he uh-huh. was kind of um, threatening. And he came on to Lennon. He was no, no, no. Lennon was making fun of him. It was a fun, it's a funny video. They were in a limo, and Bob's like almost having to roll the window on to throw up some stuff like that, and he was pretty kind of toasty, and and John Lennon was it, it was it was it was in good fun. And he was making fun of him, but in a nice way, but kind of really sarcastically, very funny. Very well, funny. Dylan's Dylan. I mean, uh, Lennon's wit. Lennon's wit was hysterical. He exactly. Was no, it was that. Yeah. It was exactly that. Yeah, he was just yeah. saying some stupid little stuff, and, yeah. and it was kind of funny. I, I got to look that up and find. Yeah. Maybe um, that's why he sold it. He sold the uh, rights that day. You know, maybe so. I don't know. I there know. is a more than a coincidence. I don't know. 
right? Bob is cheeky, you know, and he does have a long memory. So it's uh, while it could be completely coincidental, yeah, you know, that's that's possible. He might have thought, uh, well, you know, are you going to feel okay when you're a couple of years from now when you're watching TV and you're uh, you're seeing a, a commercial for Gas X and the song is blowing in the wind? You're going to be okay well, with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. You know, yeah. Bob has already been licensing, uh, like everybody else, licensing music for commercials for years. You know, I mean, you can see Bob out there hawking uh, uh, whiskey. So, you know, people used to shy away from that kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. Nowadays, if that's the worst thing you do, that's uh, that's that's not too bad. Bob gets to do whatever he wants. You know, he wrote the songs. It's uh, it's not like buying somebody else's catalog and then, you know, doing something that you promise not to do with it. You know, he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, Bob won't last forever. We, we hope he will, but you I know. just remember the last time I saw him play, it's gotta be one of the worst concerts ever. It was, remember they used to have uh, the nighttime concerts at jazz fest. The sure. nighttime, yeah. Well, <sighs> Uh, my wife had designed a bunch of uh, passes for Jazz Fest, so we got a lot of free tickets. And we mm -hmm. went and saw the Bob Dylan nighttime concert. I think it was uh, one of these auditoriums. I, I can't remember what it was. Right. Uh, there. Um, and he had, he must have had like 12 musicians on stage, like six guitar players, a drummer, a bass, and key, he was. And it had to be one of the worst concerts I've ever heard. You could not understand a fucking thing. It was <laughs> awful. Yeah. You know, you know I've, I've heard that reported, uh, you know, from, from years ago. And, you know, over, you know, he is very mercurial and he gets into certain um, moods or certain uh, bags that he wants to pursue. And it might not be everybody's favorite thing, but... Man, I've heard from people in the last couple of years that have seen him that said, you know, they've seen Bob Dylan 20 times and it was the best concert they ever saw in the last two years. So, you know, I don't I don't think his it's it's not like uh, Dylan doesn't ever do amazing concerts because he certainly does. So, you know, every night can't be our best night. That's just uh, what do you mean? Our best night. Performer. What do you mean? Our best night? Uh, again, the collective hour, not you and me, but, you know, us as, as humans, you know, or performance, I, I would I would say, you know, for every performer, by definition, every night can't be your best night, you know, and some will be your worst night. It's just because that's the way. And I saw him at the Greek theater in L.A. in the late 80s, and I was had front row seats. And every time he went to the mic to sing a lyric, he drooled. I mean, that was crazy. I mean, I don't know if he was high or drunk, but this was like 1989. The guy was okay, drooling, well, you know. Yeah, you could see a lot up in, up there. 89 was a good year for getting high and stuff, yeah. There you go. That. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I could see there that. There you yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah. That was a big year for me in, in that in that um category. In that, uh, well, we're going to get into that. That arena. That, that arena. that year was very nice. Yeah, nice. we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> get into that soon. Well, Manny, should we should we uh, get our guest in here? Yeah, he's ready. Get it, get it going. Excellent. Yes, yes. So our guest, we're we're so thrilled to have him on. He's uh, a member of the first family of funk. Uh, you know, he's New Orleans R and B royalty. He, uh, you know, 
he's he grew up in the the Neville brothers family. You know, he's, he's the son of Aaron, nephew of Art Neville, Charles Neville, Cyril Neville. Um, came up playing in the Neville brothers band. Uh, has has had a long career uh, working with other artists, and for the the past seventeen years has has been heading the the New Orleans preeminent 21st century funk fusion, fusion export dumpster funk. So without further ado, Mr. Ivan Neville. Welcome, Ivan. Oh, hey, what's up? What's up? What's happening, what's man? What's going on, Ivan? How y'all doing, man? It's all right. Good, good, man. Thank you so much for taking time out. I know you were you were saying you thought this was going to be a, a, a fairly easy day, but in fact, like many days in yeah. this period of time, it gets hectic. It turned into some other stuff that I had to do, and yeah, then I tweaked I, my I tweaked my hip. Oh, that's kind of bothering me. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's only gonna oh, get man. worse, man. <laughs> it's only gonna get worse. Yeah, that's what happens when right. you become our age. Renee doesn't yeah. think so. He thinks he's resilient that he'll tweak his uh-huh. hip and nothing will happen. But it, it it'll happen, man. Five years from now, you'll be going, ah, my hip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. that, yeah, that may be Manny. Um, well, so Ivan, the, speaking of this period, I, I I didn't realize it when I contacted you, but but uh, then I, then I kind of remembered that you actually uh, contracted COVID kind of early on in this this whole I thing. Did. And you I had did. Kind of a, ba- a, a tough case of it, man. How tell us about that? I had the COVID. Yes, I'm one one of the original COVIDs of New Orleans. One of the <laughs> Yeah, now I had it in, in March, in mid-March. I had gone. I mean, and a lot of you know, a lot of people I, that I that I know and uh, I've heard stories of people that were feeling sick in January and February and stuff like that. And I was feeling mm-hmm. off then too. I had done some gigs. I had I did the jam cruise, and usually when you come off the jam cruise, you kind of got a little bit of the crud. And I was feeling kind of off. In January and February, but it wasn't the COVID. I just maybe I just had like a little fluey kind of coldy thing or whatever. Um, right. And because it, what happened on uh, March, I went up to New York. March the t- a week, the week of the tenth, eleventh, twelfth, around that time, uh, and I went up to uh, New York to do a show up there, and the, and that's when mm-hmm. shit hit the fan. Because while we were right. up there, and I did something very stupid, I went to uh, the first night I was there was I was off, and the guys that uh, some of the the leftover guys that still play who were last playing with the Almond Brothers like Warren Haynes and O'Teal and all those guys, there was right. a show. It, it was called The Brothers at Madison Square Garden, and. Mm-hmm. I, I like a fool. I somebody offered me a, a, a ticket to go to that, so I went. And to, I mean, it was kind of we. I didn't know we didn't know that this shit was going to turn the way it got. But you would. You, we knew enough to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in the, into the Madison Square Garden where there's like fourteen thousand people. If somebody's got that shit in there, I might get it. But I went right. to that, and then. Mm-hmm. The next night, we did a sound check for the, the show I was doing, and then we we started getting the alerts on your phone telling us that the NBA had shut down. And the NBA, I mean, they were the first big, big deal organization to, to shut down because they hadn't really started, you know, 
locking shit down, and they they, they were they were having uh, events, you know, with lots of people. So the NBA shut down. They set a precedent, and everybody started shutting their shit down, and and people started saying, okay, we're not going to allow uh, events with over five hundred people. That was the early kind of protocol. And so we, we were doing this event at, the, at, at, a, at a theater in New York that generally holds about 3,500 people. And mm-hmm. the night before, the NBA shut down. And so these people who were doing this event said, okay, now we got to change this event. It's going to now be a streamed event. And we we're going to only allow th- maybe two, 300 people in there because of this, mm-hmm. this, you know, the COVID shit, you know, it, it's coming. It's, it's, just, it's, it's here and it's starting to move around. So right. we did this event and then I got home like that Friday. That Sunday, I, was, I had a fever. And, wow, um, that quick. Yeah, I had fever by 101 and I was cast to the back of the house uptown. I was cast to the back of the house to hopefully not to hopefully not contaminate the rest of the family, you know, my, my, my you know, my people over here. And, um, sure. and um, unfortunately, it was to be later found out that it, it, it did get around the house because my lady ended up, you know, having having the shit as well. So basically, I, I knew I, I just assumed I had it. Cause I felt weird and I felt I had the fever and I just felt like just odd. It wasn't like a flu that I had ever had. I've been, you know, I've had flu and I've had colds a million fucking times, but this was Uh different. And so the fever got gnarly, man. The fever got gnarly. I had fever upwards of 103. Wow. A couple times. And I went to get tested twice and I got turned down because just so happens the day I went to get, I I drove myself over to East Jeff hospital, got in that line of cars over there during that week. And I, I, my, my temperature was normal. Like 98.6 or some shit. So they wouldn't test me. And I went back home and continued to act as if, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I think I, I something's, I, I'm going to act as if, and I talked to a few doctors who told me, maybe you might want to just assume you have it until you do get tested and all that stuff. So I just stayed home and I, 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 I got turned down another time testing. I finally got tested on the 23rd of March. By this time I had my oxygen levels had been going low, like in the low eighties or upper seventies, possibly. Stuff like that. Your oxygen level is supposed to be between wow. 94 and 100. So that was freaking right. me out. Yeah, I was throwing off, dude. But luckily, I, a friend of a friend hooked, hooked me up. And they, they gave uh, a, a, an ER doctor hooked me up with a, um, they, got, they gave me an, uh, an oxygen tank. And I, I went to the yeah. hospital and I picked up this oxygen. Now, when I went to the hospital, th- I was in a, in, a, in a hallway, like a gauntlet of people that were waiting to get admitted to the hospital because they possibly had COVID and I was uh-huh. in there Now I was told go there and they're going to give you an oxygen tank. So when I went there, they didn't immediately give me an oxygen tank. They put me in this line of people. They took my vitals and it was like, is it okay, Mr. Mr. Neville, whatever, whatever your name is, there's 26 people ahead of you waiting to be admitted. And I'm like, I ain't come here to be admitted. I came here because I got a, a friend who's an ER, an ER doctor who's going to give me an oxygen tank. 
So I called this guy up. I said, oh, no, yo, dude, I'm in this line of all these people. And it was like little cubicles set up uh, strategically like five or so, six or so feet apart. So you could be wow. distanced from the next fucking COVID ravaged person, you know, because <laughs> right. it's like COVID all in the hallway. I mean, that's oh, and so I said, look, I just came here to get oxygen. So this, the doctor said, okay, just hang on, man. Uh, just hang there. And we got, we got you. So they brought me up to, somebody came and says, Hey, excuse me, uh, Mr. Neville, blah, blah. They brought me to a room and they took my x-rays, did my vitals. My oxygen levels have been kind of chilling for, for, for the moment. And I, I found out that I had pneumonia in both lungs. And oh. to hang tight, we're going to come in. We're going to give you an oxygen tank and you can go home. Because there's nothing they can do for you, really. And, and this is early in the game where they didn't have steroids or whatever the hell they, they ended up coming right. up with to give people and shit like that. They didn't, they didn't know. No doctor knew what to do. They had, you know, and you had to kind of do research on your own and ask people what, you know, what you do for your lungs and shit like that. Uh -huh. So I got the oxygen. They finally gave me the oxygen tank. I put it in my car, drove myself back home, and I started utilizing the oxygen. A day or so later, they they brought a, a oxygen, an oxygen machine to my house. This thing called Evenflow. Okay. It's a blue box. This thing you plug into the wall and you put the little tubey things in your nose. And it's, you know, because the oxygen. Wait, 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 wait. Evenflow? That's what it was called, Evenflow. I thought that was a tampon. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, right, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fucked up. All right. Yeah, man, yeah, you're right. That's very nice. <laughs> okay, even flow. All right, guys. Okay, that's, that's the name of the machine. It's an oxygen thing. Right. right so, uh, all right, luckily, <laughs> that's funny. So, luckily, I had this machine that was help, that was supplementing my um, lack of oxygen while I'm going through mm. this shit. Because that's a major thing with this thing is you, you're, you're lacking oxygen and it makes your, your, your organs start freaking out on each other. And that's why people right. end, end up having to go to the hospital and they ended up, you end up either on oxygen and that's some, you know, some people with, with the pre-existing conditions and older than myself and maybe in, in worse shape than me, um, right. end up on these goddamn ventilators. And then you pretty much, that's it. You might, you're probably going to yeah. die. So I didn't, I was lucky. I didn't, I didn't have to do that. I was at home doing home like remedies. I was uh, doing steams with like a pot of water with garlic and orange peel and lemon peel and ginger. And okay. I would stand over that shit for like 10 minutes. Vapor, vapor rub, right? Uh, no, I, did, I didn't do too much of the vapor rub. I did a more of a, I did some shit similar to that. Maybe I uh, did some some oregano and stuff like that. And so that, that time, the time in New York before you came back with this, with this condition, had you bumped into Keith Richards at all? I didn't see Keith while I was there. Not, oh, okay. no. no, I, I didn't see sure him. Maybe that would be the cause of your. No, your, I did not. Now he, he, no, I don't think he's he can get the COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he's he's already immune. Well, you know who else? Well, there was some people that were there that that ended up with it. It was Jackson Brown and a few other people. My friend Larry Campbell. Um, oh, you yeah. know. You know Larry Campbell. I mean, you know Larry sure, Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry yeah, Campbell absolutely. got it. Paul Schaefer got it. At who was at this event? Oh. So long story oh, short, man. I've had it. I fucking had it. Luckily, I had the oxygen machine at my house, and I, the fever went away after two weeks. 
I was, I was, um, I also, also I couldn't eat anything. So I lost maybe 25 pounds and which wasn't wow. a bad thing. That wasn't a bad thing. You know, lost okay. a little weight, but, okay. but after, but after the fever subsided and the appetite came back, I started having, um, these, uh, uh, breathing problems. I would, I started having shortness of breath. I hadn't heard about that, but I hadn't yet experienced that. So that came for me after two weeks of having this shit. Now, by the way, by the way, I finally got tested on the 23rd of March. So I had, it was about nine days in, I was tested. But I, but the test, it took like fucking another nine days to get the results back. Right, right. So all this time, I'm not knowing. I'm just assuming I had it. And I talked to a couple of doctors that told me, yeah, just act as if you have it. And I finally got the results on the 2nd of April. Now, this shit all started on March the 15th. 2nd of April, I got the results. I was positive. And wow. there you go. Yeah. And what's funny about that okay, is yeah. the whole men the mental warfare that this shit, that this shit plays with you is there were times in um, – when I was really uh, fucked up uh, with this shit, where my mind was loopy, where my brain was yeah. kind of like fart brain, you know, I was, uh, oh, I couldn't remember the code to my phone. At some point, my lady was like wow. saying, well, if, if we have to bring you to the hospital, let's uh, get, you know, get your phone going. My phone had shut off and I tried to get it uh, back on and I kept dialing, uh, putting the wrong code in it. And finally, wow. the phone the phone disabled totally, permanently. And I had to have a friend pick the phone up and bring it to one of those places to re reset my phone. You know, I needed to have my phone in case something did happen. I had to go to the hospital. But I didn't. Right. And I just kind of rolled okay. it out. And I started taking walks. I started doing breathing exercises. And also, about a week or so in, I did a I did a stream from my house. I started doing live streams on the piano singing, and the singing, okay. the singing helped me. That was how, that was an, an extra exercise that my lungs were getting singing. Right. And I would take walks. I didn't just sit and lay on my ass and let it just sit and get me. I fucking right. Fought, I fought through it, and yep. And it took a while, but around May, the so we're talking from March the 15th, May the 1st, I was finally tested again. I tested again, and it, it came back negative. Uh, and, right. And, and I'm going to tell you. I thought you were going to say it came back, you were pregnant. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but you know what's funny, though? After, so after that, so now I had been tested twice at that point. One positive, one negative, and they stick this this gnarly thing up your nose. Now, the good news yeah. for me, the good news for me, is my past behavior, especially in the eighties. Um, I kind of I screwed my nose up pretty bad, you know. Cool. Doing, okay. Yeah, you doing uh, you know, what we used to do in in those days, and yeah. um. So the COVID test is nothing to me. I, I, it's nothing. <laughs> Your old they stick, hat, right? They stick that thing up my nose. I'm like, all right, is that is that as far as you can go with that? Come on, can wait, come on. And, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, Ivan, I I went and got tested for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't know anything about the test. I was actually told by my employers to go get this test. And I heard everyone uh, got a Q-tip up their nose, 
But for some reason, this nurse, this male nurse, put one up my ass. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell that's about. And I haven't oh, got man. the... I haven't got the uh, the uh, results. Result yet. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't got any results yet. Man. You, you oh, might no, be man. pregnant, Manny. Um, yeah, you know what? You better check that. You better watch that. You <laughs> maybe want to get one. Of, you maybe want to get one of them even flows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm have to check that out. Uh, uh, Ivan, can, can we circle back uh, to uh, to you growing up in New Orleans? So, yeah. so did you grow up in in the the uptown Valence neighborhood? Yep, yep. Born and raised right up there. Yeah. And what high school did you go to? I went to um, I went to John F. Kennedy for like half a year in my sophomore year, and I, I went to Cohen the rest, and okay. I graduated from Cohen. Yeah. Nice, nice. Right on, man. We always love to ask. So yeah. you went from a Catholic high school to a Jewish high school? No. <laughs> Those are very no, Kennedy. Kennedy, <laughs> Kennedy, no. No, but you know what? I did yeah, go to Catholic yeah. elementary school. I went to from first from first through seventh, I went to St. Stephen's on Napoleon. Okay. Yeah, I went to St. Stephen's. Are the Neville's Catholic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we grew go. up right Catholic. On. We grew up Catholic. Yeah. Right on. Well, so so um, as a as a teenager, you started playing in the Neville Brothers band. Pretty much, yeah. I started playing with them when I was about maybe nineteen, eighteen, eighteen years old, something like that. Did you study piano or organ with anybody outside of the family, or or? I didn't study. Not really. I, I should have studied. I should have studied. Um, I know. You know, my dad taught me a couple, couple, two, three songs. You know. He plays a mm -hmm. little bit of piano, and I right. listened a lot. You know, I listened a lot to my dad and the art. And James Booker was a, was a family friend, and he okay. used to come by the house here and there. And, you know, he, 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 you know he's a whole nother level piano player, that guy. Sure. And um, he actually taught me how to play Big Chief. He taught me that song, the Professor Longhill nice. song, Big Chief. I learned that from James right. Booker. Okay. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I just listen to all, you know, listen to all that stuff, all the meters, meters records and all of the, the slime of family stone shit that was on the radio, you know, and right. I listened to my, the family and, and the stuff that was going on in New Orleans, you know, yeah, that shit, shit was all around, you know, the brass right. band vibe, the, the Mardi Gras Indians, all of that. So all of that kind of just, I just soaked all that stuff up, you know? Right. Now, uh, you and I only met for the first time uh, when we did the session in like February or something with John Grow, And we, we cut that tune, that rare earth tune. Uh, I just want to celebrate. We did that. And and during that session, you were talking about like that tune and other tunes from that era about how we, when you were growing up, you remember on the radio, like uh, each each hit sounded unique in its own way. And, and, and you were, I don't know if you remember this conversation, you were talking about how like naming all these different songs, you said like Benny and the jets, like Benny and the jets that blew our minds. We thought, Oh yeah. Soul music. Yeah. No, there was, there was, a, there was a lot of, a lot of music that was like that. I mean, and that era to me was, it was, a, was an amazing time because everybody, you know, you weren't trying to sound like the other guy. Like, you know how music got where you, you're trying to find the right formula to have a, a hit song and you a lot of people want to sound like the other person. 
You know, that's how music has become. But back then, you heard a song and you bet up to that point, you really hadn't heard anything that sounds like that. Like when I first heard uh-huh. Rufus and Shaka Khan tell me something good, when I first heard that come right. on the radio, I'm like, what the hell is sure. that? Yeah, it blew our minds. We couldn't even figure out where the one was. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. And then when you heard Benny and, when you heard Benny and the Jets, oh, they, they had a vibe. Like, what the hell what is that? And there was a few things like that. Kind of like when I heard my Sharona. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> my Sharona. That yeah. did sound different. That did sound different. No, but say. it did. That did. That had a vibe, though. That, there was still, you know, there was still, that shit lasted for a while. I mean, that kind of approach to music and people making mm-hmm. records. You know, a lot of people got, you know, they companies gave, gave you a little dough and you went and made some music. And they wouldn't right, be so, right. you know, they they were uh, they weren't so um, heavy-handed with the with the create. They let me uh, artists uh, be creative, right? And, right. And, uh, they they had an, an, enough money in the system to where they could uh, they could throw some around, spread some around, and see yeah. what happens. They go make a record, yeah. and then and then you had people that would come out with a song, and you maybe never hear from them. Like there was this one, you made me think of it. There was another song that just sounded different from anything else that was on the radio. And it was a cool tune. It was this guy named David Essex. He had a song called mm-hmm. Rock On. Rock On. Yeah, kid, rock and roll, rock on. Oh, yeah. Ooh, my yeah, no, soul. You're right. That yeah, sounded totally different from anything. Dean, Jimmy mm-hmm. D. That was badass. You know what I'm saying? That was like, yes. I think that song was covered by a bunch of artists. So, wasn't yeah, it? a few people did that. A few yeah. people did that. There was, it was actually a bad cover. I think Frank Sinatra and uh, Billy Idol did that song. <laughs> yeah. And Billy Idol. I, I know for sure Billy Idol. I could picture okay. Billy Idol doing that shit. Yeah, that's I funny. think so. Yeah, that was a good call on his part. No, nah, but that's, yeah, that's, you know, music from that, from that, uh, doing the, I would say from the late 60s through, through the, in the early 70s. That was a hell of a period when it was, you know, uh, a lot right. of great, great music came out during those times. And at the, at the same time, like those early seventies, I, I loved the, like a lot of the, the soul and R and B groups like national acts, they'd have like a, a soul record, but then it would have the rock guitar solo in it, you know, like, uh, earth, wind and fire or the Ohio players or something, you know, they right. Start, no. start, yeah. start introducing the, the hard rock guitar. I guess they were trying to cross over, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what was funny. Okay. Now that, that what was funny. Like when you saw a band, like when you saw like a band, usually you would picture like if, if that's what, check it out. When I, when I saw Sly and the Family Stone, right? And I saw all the, mm-hmm. there was like, there was like, you know, black, black uh, folks, a couple of white boys. There was a couple of uh, females in the group. It was a multi-racial, multi-gender. Um, it was, it was cool. But, and the funny thing was usually when you had, a, when you had like a bunch of brothers and you had one white cat in the band, the white dude was usually the guitar player. Right, okay. <laughs> right, yeah, but right. that's when when I saw flying the family stone, the white dude was on drums. I was like, "Damn, what the hell is this?" <laughs> and that shit, they was funky. They were funky too, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yep. Fuck, man. 
Well, so you wind up being on these big stages. How do you first cross paths with uh, with Keith Richards? Um, the first connection was made with, through the meters. The meters opened up for the Stones in 75. Right. And they did some dates with the Stones. Um, in and France, in Europe. They did, they, did, they did the European tour. Yes, they did. And they did a couple of dates in the States, but they did more, more stuff in Europe. They did a yes. whole tour mm -hmm. with them in Europe. And that was the first connection. And then... When the brothers were together, and when I was with the brothers in like 1981, um, we, okay. we we opened up for the Stones as well. Um, nice. That was a tattoo you tour, right? That was that was um that was the I think that was the that was that was the tattoo I think that was. But you but you guys you guys over for them in Europe, not in the states, did you? No, the, we, we, the brothers the brothers we did dates in the states. Was that which which record was start me up on? Tattoo you. Okay, that was the tattoo you tour then. Cause start me up. It was start me up and all that shit. Right. Uh, well, yeah, because that was the eighty one tour. That was eighty one. Yeah, and I saw that tour, but you guys didn't play in L.A. because I saw no. four L.A. shows. Yeah, it, you know what? Prince was on one of those shows in L.A. That was one. Prince was. It was. He got Prince. booed off. He got booed. He got booed. He got booed yeah. off. Yes. Yeah, that was the same wow. year. That was that year. Now we, I know exactly the shows we played. We played in Louisville, Kentucky. We mm -hmm. did a, two or three shows in Chicago, and we did a show in New Orleans at the Superdome. Okay. And it was and it was nice. it was the Nevilles, George Thorgood and the Destroyers and the Stones. Don't you think uh Charlie had a lot to do with getting the opening acts cuz he's the one who discovered Prince for the Stones, not Keith. Charlie Well, Watts. you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know about but I know that um at some point uh I, I Keith I know Keith was a big fan of my dad and he was a big fan of the brothers yeah. too. But I, right, I don't know yeah. who which one it was, but I know that that like I said, the meters made that initial contact, and then yeah. when the brothers yeah. opened up, we we ended up doing uh at some point later on, maybe the the year later that year or the year after, we did a um we went up to New York, my myself and my dad and my and my three uncles, Art Charles mm -hmm. and Cyril, we went up to New York and we visited with Keith and Ron. Ronnie Woods, yeah, and, Ronnie. Um, and we went and played a little bit in the studio and fooled around, and that that was like the more um, casual meeting with them. And I, I mean, I had I had met Keith and them out, you know, on that tour, but this was more of a right. personal kind of hang. And after that is when, about a few years, of, I would say in eighty five, eighty six. 85 maybe 85 I ended up I was I was I had been playing with Bonnie Raitt I had been on tour with Bonnie and we were in New York we were in New York and the, her tour ended and I ended up staying in New York and the Stones were making this record called Dirty Dirty, Dirty Work. Work yeah Dirty yeah, Work it's horrible. yeah it's one of their worst albums ever right. but go well, ahead. you know what hey I, I'm on that record so I don't give up <laughs> it was it was probably one of the yes it's definitely not well, known, it, it, it was known it was one of the best stories. yeah obviously it's one well, of the it yeah. was it was when Jaggers Richards couldn't stand each other they had, had enough of each other and Mick was Mick was doing his solo shit Keith 
was was deciding to do some solo shit, and they had a they had to release a record. And if you read Keith's biography, he says, you know, there's a lot of good songs on it, but Mick's not there, I'm not there, and and the music suffered. Well, what happened? What happened was there were there were the there was one night that I was there that they were all in there. Charlie wasn't yeah. there, but Keith, Ronnie, and Mick was there. But the other nights, it would be Keith would go in the studio by himself, or Keith and Ronnie would go in, or Mick would go in by himself. So yeah. uh, for, for good, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm on that record. And All right. Hey, it's, it's nice to be on any Rolling Stones record. No, listen, <laughs> I, play, I played bass on a song on that record. That that was okay, like that's nice. like my that was my one of the most thrilling credits to me that I'm that I'm most proud yeah. of. Now, now check this out, but that's when I kind of hit it off with Keith, and yeah. after uh-huh. that, a few years later, around 1987, I was making my first record, um, and and I uh, my first solo record, and I got a call from Keith that he was putting together something to do his own thing. And that's when he started nice. uh, that band, the Expensive Winos, with Keith. Yes. That's how that came about. So myself, yeah. Steve Jordan, Waddy Wattel, and Charlie Drayton, we were hanging uh, in New York with Keith playing, and that became that band that toured with him. Wow! So that's kind of what, how the whole connection you know, that's, was made. That, that, you know, I saw that tour. I saw uh, three shows of that tour. And that was one of the most exciting uh, concerts I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm a huge Keith Richards fan, but it, it was beautiful because I saw you guys at the Palladium in Hollywood like four nights in a row. Hey, do you like know that. that they put they just re-released that? They just yes, re-released, yes. remastered live at the live at the Hollywood Palladium. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was an amazing show. It was an amazing was show, and that was a yeah. fun night. Believe me. But, you know, uh, his second album, which I don't think you're on the second album, are you? Oh, I'm on the second album. Actually, more than I'm on Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap okay. is um, the first re- the first one he did with that group. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on about half of that because he used he they they Bernie Worrell from um, Parliament Funkadelic from P-Funk. Yeah, right. Bernie's on right. a few things. Bootsy, Bootsy's on one or two things, yeah. Bootsy Collins, and um, mm-hmm. they had, uh, there's a couple of tunes where there are no keyboards, and there's a couple of tunes that maybe Keith or Waddy played a little thing, and mm-hmm. Buckwheat Zydeco is on that record. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. wow. If there's like nine or ten songs on that record, I'm on like five or six of them on Talk is Cheap. But this next record, Main Offender, I'm on that Main whole Offender, record. yeah. Main Offender was the second one. I'm on all of that. Did you tour for that record? I toured for all, all the tours he did with that stuff. Okay, because on Main Offender, I had got, you know, I'm from Los Angeles, and I got hired by the label to uh, for promotions. And I went to interview Keith down in Long Beach, California, when he was doing the music video for Wicked As it, They Come or Wicked As It Seems. Wicked As It Seems. Yeah, yeah. So I went to interview him to promote the record. And, of course, I get there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and Keith doesn't show up until 1, the, 1 a.m. Oh, yeah. 1 in the morning. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. 8 o'clock. Yeah. Right. yeah, the whole crew is waiting. And, I'm in, and they tell me to go in his trailer because it's a video shoot, so every star has their trailer. 
and I'm in his trailer with the camera crew waiting for Keith to show up. And we're bored, so we start start opening like drawers in the in the Winnebago and the refrigerator. We start opening things, and what do I see? Ivan is uh, Keith's writer. He's got his writer for the video shoot. Mm-hmm. And you know what his writer says? What? It says, Stoli, orange juice, ice. Oh, is nice. it not orange juice, orange crush? It was it orange crush or orange soda, Fanta soda? It just said Stoli, vodka, soda. orange juice, and ice. There's no... No finger sandwiches, no cookies, no brownies, <laughs> no beer. Okay. Uh, it's just says Stoli, orange juice, and ice. And I thought, wow. he's the coolest guy ever, man. <laughs> he's just yes. the coolest guy ever. You, you know, Manny, that, that brings us to a, 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 good, uh, a good turning point here because, uh, Ivan, we always take a little break in the middle of the, the oh, yeah. show to, yeah. to get new cocktails, and I definitely need one, Manny. Okay, yeah. So, Ivan, can you hold on and get yourself a libation, and we'll be right back. Go ahead. I'm going to have some water while y'all guys... <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Ivan Neville. Now, Ivan, I'm not sure you're familiar with this terrific product that the uh, Troubled Men podcast has, has been affiliated with for a few months, but uh, Manny, why don't you tell Ivan all about this terrific product? Ivan. Can Yo. you hear me, Ivan? I hear you. I hear you, Manny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, man. I'm going to tell you about a great product that we've been endorsing for the last six months or so. It's called the Velo Bar. Have you ever heard of the Velo Bar, Ivan? No, what's the Velo Bar? What's that? The Velo Bar is a CBD protein bar. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. And you like the CBD? Do you know what the CBD is? Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, well, we're we're promoting and we're being endorsed by the Velo Bar. 
which is a healthy protein bar made up of plant-based protein superfoods ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds, and most important, 25 milligrams of CBD. And you know what? Right now, it's a great bar to have because this has been such a fuck year for everybody. Everyone's <laughs> so stressed out. Who doesn't need some stress relief right now? The whole goddamn yes. world freaking out, Ivan. Yes. It's, a great, it's, it's, it's a great breakfast bar. It's a great breakfast bar. It's great after a workout. It's great after doing some yard work. It takes mm-hmm. the stress off. And I'm telling you, man, it's got two great flavors, peanut butter and dark chocolate. And I'm hooked on these bars. <laughs> I'm really I'm hooked on these bars. They're so good. But right now, Ivan, Ivan, yeah. are you listening to me, Ivan? Go ahead. I got you. I are you got listening? You. Yeah. yeah. If you go to VeloBarCBD.com to place an order for these beautiful protein bars, you can get 15% off your order by putting the promo code TROUBLEDMEN15. It's a beautiful thing. Get 15% off your order. And right now, if you order, you can also get free shipping. Free shipping, Ivan. (laughs) So check it out. The whole nation, the Troubled Nation knows about this product, and I hope they're sharing it with other people uh, in the Troubled Nation to get out there and order this bar. Hey, listen, it'd make a great uh, stocking stuffer right now. For yeah, it would uh, fit all, in the stockings, yes. Yeah, uh, it's for all those people who are stressed out, who don't know where their next uh, uh, meal's coming from. But anyway, um, check it out, Ivan. It's uh, VeloBarCBD.com. <laughs> 15% off, Troubled Men 1-5 promo code, free shipping. And, you know, the CEO was a former guest of ours, and he's a whole former uh, – he's not a for, he's a friend of mine from high school who started this company. And uh, he's got some big, big plans for next year, Renee. He's got some okay. plans for next year about uh, yes. other, other products out yes, there. They're, yes, know, they're expanding. Uh, expanding yeah, their, uh, he's, their reach. Uh, he's doing a uh, – I, I can get – he told me I could say one thing. He said okay. that uh, to promote – He's doing a crack bar, a crack bar. A crack is, bar? Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Is, I don't know uh, if that's going to go rough, yeah, well, Which is bad. made out of uh, some ingredients from flaca. You well, know? Okay, so, maybe a yeah, flaca yeah. bar. All right. Yeah. Okay, well, it's, I so, didn't see uh, that coming, Manny, but yeah, all right. Uh, Brent I, you know, is a, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's an idea guy. I kid Brent a lot. He's a good guy. He owes me like 80 bucks, too. So Sure, it's sure, okay. sure. Back in the days, I could have hung out with y'all with that crap. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we want to talk about that. I want to talk yes. about that with hey, you. Yes. you know, I got a story well, for you, man, because you, you talked about you waited, you waited in a trailer for all those hours for mm-hmm. Keith to show up. And um, Yeah. So check this out. So when, when, we first, when we were first getting together, to, to just play it. We were just, uh, to, they booked the studio and we were just going to show up there every night and just play together in a room. And that will, that, mm-hmm. that was going to become unbeknownst to us. That was going to become the expensive winos, that group. Yeah. So yes, the first, yes. the, so we're in New York, the first night we show up there and I believe we showed up there a similar time in the evening time, about maybe six or seven 
it was usually after dinner. It was never going to be before dinner time. So it w- I would say seven, eight o'clock we start. So and it was always there. when the sun went down, right? It was at night. It was at nighttime. Yes. And right. so we showed up there by seven, seven or seven ish. And then everything kind of get going, maybe eight, nine o'clock. So what happened was every, every night, it would get later. The start time would be later. <laughs> the, second, the second night, start time was like 9 or 10. Not 7 or 8, 9 or 10. Right. Third night, start time was 10, 11-ish. Uh-huh. I, I shit you not, about, I, I remember us at about five or six days in, we showed up there at like two in the fucking morning. I swear to God. And we looked at each other and we just all fell on the floor laughing. We were like, oh, this is insane. <laughs> yeah, started out like seven, eight o'clock. And then finally, every, we would stay in there all night and we would leave there eight, nine, ten in the morning every time. And sometimes we'd go a little longer. We'd go later. Yeah, so that, you know, that 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 story doesn't surprise me. Well, let me ask you something because I heard a story because I was I, I was with the label at the time, and I heard a story uh, that I think Keith put out. I, I don't know, but he was trying to be Mister Goody Two Shoes because he had these young guy young cats playing with them, and he didn't want to set a bad example. And he discovered that you guys between you know takes or whatever, were like behind the curtain drinking booze and wine and all that kind of stuff. And that's where the expensive winos came, the, the, the band name. Is that true? All right. Now, that, there's, there's a couple of versions of this story. Okay. Now, yeah, I, yeah. Now I remember, I remember uh, some case of wine kind of disappearing. I remember that. And, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, disappeared. Yeah, exactly. And I remember that. But what, what I distinctly remember... The first time I heard the the words expensive wino, the first time I ever heard that was we were recording. We were in Canada, in Montreal, in this. Uh, we were staying at this little studio. I think it was called Le Studio. And as you stay, there's a big house. We were staying in this big house, and the recording studio is right up the street. And we were hanging out. It was a, it was a, it was an amazing hang. All right, and you could imagine what was going on there on a daily basis. But so there was one day that Mr. Steve Jordan, yeah, he decided he started talking like Sammy Davis Jr. And, <laughs> and listen, and everything every time he responded to anything you say to him, he would say it in that Sammy voice. Yes, man, and blah blah, and no. I mean it, man. That's what I mean, man. He was, yeah. he was, he was, he was doing this Sammy voice, and he was, and it got funnier and funnier because just when you think he'd stop doing it, he would fucking re- respond to you in the Sammy voice, and mm-hmm. we were just laughing, having fun with it, and at some point, um. We were playing this tune. We were listening to this this outtake of this song. We listened to this this this, this a playback. We listened to a playback of a song. I remember the song. The song was this song called "It Means a Lot." It means yeah. a lot. It means a lot. It was that song, and he did this. He did this drum fill 
toward the end of that song that went it means a lot and I believe it was myself who said we were listening to the playback I said damn that drum feel you sounded like a wino and he came back no he came back in the Sammy voice yes man but I'm an expensive wino I swear to god that's the first time I ever heard that that being said and that night they wrote on the tape expensive winos on the on the box on the box of the tape I swear to god now I do recall some wine disappearing somewhere, a, a case of wine that was supposed to be, and there was some expensive wine too, like some Rothschilds yeah. shit, some crazy side. Right. I remember drinking some of that shit, and I remember a lot of it disappearing. But the first time, like I said, yeah, that's the first time I ever heard those words spoken. Expensive wine that was out of Steve Jordan's voice talking like Sammy Davis Jr., well, what about right. Sarah Sarah Miles? She plays. She's. You mean Sarah well, Dash? Sarah Dash. Sarah Dash. I'm sorry, Sarah, Sarah Dash. Dash. Yeah. She, Sarah Dash was a member of LaBelle. She sang with Patti LaBelle and LaBelle. Yeah. Well, I always, her. I always, I always thought, uh, I always, uh, you, you were there, but like that tour. I mean, she was on that tour. Yeah, and I always. I always think about women on tour, especially, you know, uh, you know, with, with the, you know, stuff that goes on, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. So, uh, and she's amazing. She's a fucking amazing. Yeah, she, so she's, she's badass. <laughs> yeah. How was it for her on tour with that band? Because she basically sang what on three or four songs during well, she the tour. Sang, we sang backups. She sang backups yeah. on a lot of stuff. And then she yeah. was featured on a couple of two, three songs on Make No Mistake. Mm-hmm. We used to do Gimme Shelter. She was featured on that. And right. maybe right. we did Time Is On My Side. She sang that. But she sang backups on a lot of other stuff, too. But no, nah, man, she was like, she, man, she was a badass, man. She, she Yeah, I, I think she would have to be to be with a bunch yeah, of you. No, nah, she, nah, she, she, she held on home, bro. Wasn't nobody. Okay. Yeah, she can handle herself. Yeah. No, she handled herself. Believe me. Sarah Dash. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right, indeed. Right, right, Well, man, what an incredible band. I remember seeing that band and, and like on some tunes, Steve Jordan and the bass player would switch. Like Steve Jordan would play bass, right? That, there was one song. Yeah, check this out. There was one song where Steve played bass and Charlie played drums. I played mm-hmm. bass on at least one song. I played bass on Could Have Stood You Up. When we play it live, yeah, and then I I played guitar on like two or three songs on Little T and A and Happy and maybe one other thing I played guitar on. It would be like three guitars: me, Waddy, Keith on guitar, and, and yeah. But Steve and Charlie did switch right. up often as well. Yeah, we were we were that kind of band. We did that kind of. That shit. was a mind blower, man. It's like fucking both of those guys play great bass and drums even though yeah. it's not their main instrument <laughs> yeah not nah, and yeah not nah, and, and serious they were both serious on either of those in- instruments yeah right i was reading this article today from from 2005 and there was a great quote from from you a pull quote it said if keith richards tell you tells you you're a little too out of control you're in bad shape yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, nah, at some yeah. point did did 
Did Keith tell you that you were too out of control? Well, you know, it was kind of like basically. Okay, there was a period, there was a time, or well, a lot. It was a lot of time where I, I used to, you know, I used to do some, I used to do some some gnarly shit, and I, I like smoke. I smoked bass, and I used to do smoke crack and all that kind of shit. Yeah, and and um, he 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 couldn't stand. He hated that kind of shit. He didn't like yeah. that. He he knew I was into that shit at times, and there was times when I would show up when I would be more inebriated than most everybody around. And if you can outdo certain people in that field, namely right. uh, my, my man, <laughs> if you can outdo people, if you can outdo some of them. You in bad shape, right. you know. You ain't if 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 you can have that man tell you, Ivan, you're a little too fucked up. If he could say that to you, you got a serious, you got some issues. So yeah, when Keith yeah. is the voice of reason, it's time yeah. to check yourself, right? <laughs> if he has to tell you you too fucked up, you got a problem. And I mean that's part of. I mean that yeah that 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 hit me hard, you know. I fell asleep one time at a Stone show. I was supposed to sit in with them. At Giant Stadium, when the when the Rolling Stones were on the Voodoo Lounge tour, and mm-hmm. I had played I had played on that record on Voodoo Lounge, and um, I went out to to I went out to meet uh, upon Keith's request. I went and met them in New York and hung out with him um, at, at Giant Stadium, and I was going to sit in and play a song with the Stones that night, and I got too fucked up. And I passed out in the dressing room, and I missed the show. I woke up, and the show was over. So, oh man, that was one that was pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> and you woke up, and the Giants were kicking off, right, against the Dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you know, I woke up, and they were they were tearing the stage down. It was like they were gone. <laughs> it was over. Oh, I know, but he can't. He can't hold that against you. He's done that a million times, I'm sure. You know. But that was a that was something for you for yourself that you thought, ah, this is not not what I want to be doing. So was that kind of a? Because I know you've you've been sober for like 21 years at this point. Is that? Yeah, yeah. That that was one of the one. That was a big a big deal. That that hit me pretty hard and made me kind of pretty depressed for a while. And, and I just kind of beat myself up for a good little while after that, you know, and that could, that could tend to happen. Something like that. That didn't make me stop. <laughs> Cause I didn't stop. <laughs> I didn't stop. I had no, I didn't, I, I ended up stopping in 98. Now that, that, that happened around 95, something like okay. that. Voodoo Lounge tour was 95. Voodoo Lounge tour was a great tour. I saw it that. Was great. Yeah, and I ended up playing with him. I played with him in new Orleans on that tour. One song. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, you know what? I I just got to tell you, that I got my my mm-hmm. big time claim to fame with the. I got it. I'm, I'm, I think I'm. I know. I know. I'm the only person to do this. I opened up for the Stones twice in the Superdome. Oh, cool! In seventy in seventy eight in seventy eight. The brothers in eighty one. Eighty one tour, yeah. And then Dumpster Funk opened up for the Stones in the Superdome. What in twenty? Uh, what was that? Uh, nine, 2019? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw yeah. that show. It was tremendous, man. Yeah, yeah it was a fucking yeah. fantastic show. So I, man. I, I, I opened up for the Stones twice in the Superdome. I'm the only person to do it with two different bands. Very cool. With two man. different groups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
Uh, did you have any kind of relationship with Jagger? You know what? I I I um I know he you know he knows who I am. I know him, but I don't really. He's, he's very I, close to the vest. You know, he's I've very never close to I've him. never really been like t- jam tight with him. Now I did have a hang with him. One I had one hang with Mick Jagger, and fun, this is kind of a funny story, but it's kind of a heartbreaking story as well because the guy that facilitated our hang is no longer with us. It's this guy. He was a very wealthy guy who who ended up who killed himself this 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 year. Mm. Um, uh, in in I think it was in June in this past June, this man his name Steve Bing, Steve Bing um was a, he he financed a bunch of films and stuff like that. You remember the the Doctor the Stones live concert documentary film Shine the Light? Yes. He, this guy is the guy that financed that film. Martin Scorsese directed it. Yeah, Scorsese. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Scorsese directed it. Yeah, I know who Steve Bing is. Yeah. Steve Bing, he fucking he jumped off the goddamn building. He jumped out of his building this uh, this this during the pandemic. Anyway, anyway, oh, anyway. God rest him. God may he rest in peace. Uh, Steve. Well, Steve Bing, we were hanging in New York during the time of the Shine the Light thing. And mm-hmm. they had the the, the 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 movie premiere of the um the movie The Departed, the yes. Martin Scorsese flick with um with Nicholson and and uh, DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. And, uh, yes, yes. Well, there were Stone songs uh, all over that flick, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And there was a there was this big dinner, and I, I I was a good um Steve Bing was a good friend of mine, so he invited me come meet us at this 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 restaurant. And we having some food. Come meet us. I went over there, and Mick was there. And after the dinner happened, and a bunch of people showed up there, like DiCaprio and some of those guys showed up there, blah blah. But then, mm-hmm. Bing, Steve Bing told myself, myself, Bernard Fowler, and someone else. He said, "We're gonna go. Hang, we're gonna go to the Marquee Club in New York. We're gonna go to the Marquee Club." And and so I said, "Sure, I'll go." And I got in the limo, and it was me, Mick. Bernard Fowler, um, Steve Bing, and someone else was with it. I think it was Stacy Michelle. She used to be Stacy Plunk. Stay, yeah. So, uh, anyway, we got in this limo and we went to the Marquee Club. And me and Mick, that was the only time I ever really hung with Mick without just being around the whole group or being uh, with Keith. And we, it, it was it was a fun time, man. And we went to the Marquee Club, you know, with the velvet rope and all that shit to get in there, people standing outside right. the line. We pulled up around the back. We went through the kitchen. We came in the club, and then there was like a, a booth and some area roped off for us to hang. And, you know, Mick Jagger's in the party, so there was some, you know, big-time cool treatment and all that shit. And then the right. funniest thing was, this was the funniest thing, was there was probably – a group of like supermodels, like kind of standing nearby. And yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if they were just, they just posted up there or it was like the word Mick was showing up and, you know, you got to have that kind of eye candy around when he's hanging. And sure. there's like about five or six, these fucking supermodel chicks, like standing in, on the dance floor. And at some point Mick goes in, he's standing in the middle of these girls dancing. The music's playing in the club and he's doing all of the fucking Mick Jagger moves. Like, he's doing the he's, he's, he's doing the same shit that he does when he's on stage, dude. But he's dancing with all these girls dancing around him. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, oh, my God, look at Mick. He's fucking he doing it. He can't turn it off, man. He was dancing. It was like he was on stage, man. 
And my friend, <laughs> Steve, Steve Bing was just like was grinning from ear to ear. That was like, he, that guy loved doing shit like that, putting together a hang. That was what, that was one of that cat's gifts was putting people together. It's too bad he's not with us anymore, but yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, well, you mentioned dumpster funk, so we should we should touch on that before we before we finish. Yeah. So so yeah. Dump, dumpster funk starts out as like kind of a side project thing that that you kind of just like you had a gig at jazz fest tell the story but it, it yeah i'm saying my the the crux of my story is it starts as a project a side project but winds up very quickly to be a huge state uh festival act and you know that's yeah. 17 years ago so so tell us about that that's a long time i didn't realize it was that long ago yeah we played the dump I, I got an offer to play the jazz fest in 2003 and I was like, okay, I'm going to play. I'm going to play the fest, but I don't want to just do a regular Ivan Neville show. So let me put something together. And I called some of my friends. I called Nick and Tony. I'm like, who do I want on bass, Tony or Nick? I'm like, you know what? I'll get both of them. I called, and I know they, <laughs> and both of them can sing. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's get them in. The, and I got Raymond Weber. I got my, my little cousin, Ian. Yes. And, we, and we did the first I call it was called Ivan Neville's Dumpster Funk. That's what it was called the first time we played at Jazz Fest, and that was in right. '03. Now we did a few, like isolated shows for the next few years, and it was absolutely a side project. And right around, right after Katrina, we kind of, out of necessity, we kind of became a more of a band, and we did our first big show outside of New Orleans really was Bonnaroo. We played Bonnaroo in 06. And we played a late night set after Dr. John. Mac did a night tripper set at Bonnaroo. Mm -hmm. And we played after him at like 2 a.m. And killed. It was, it was like, it was like a, one, of those show, one of those shows that people are talking about. You know, oh, Dumpster Funk at Bonnaroo. We killed. And right. We kind of that kind of started it. I mean, that kind of started us to really think, okay, we we we, we got a band here. This is a band, and yep. we bust that shit. And I think we played Jam Cruise Jam Cruise the following year, and then we became a band. We became a full time band, like right at right then. But that bond right. that that first Jazz Fest show in '03 was the shit that kind you know kicked us off but we did play the fest, the, fest, the, fest, the the jazz fest every year after mm -hmm. I played that first year we played every year and we put something together for the fest but when we when we stretched out and went and did Bonnaroo that gave us the little reputation outside of New Orleans that uh was enough to ride on that a little bit and then we just kind of stayed together you know Right now, I had a question. Um, did you ever get any pushback from the dumpster corporation over the name? You know, because I know <laughs> dumpster can be kind of touchy with the with the name. You know, the people right. think that's like uh, it's not generic. It's like Kleenex. It's a right. company name. Yeah. Well, we never now because we spelled it dumpster with an A, uh -huh. dumpster funk with a PH. Right. Dumpster okay, funk. So we right, never, so they, yeah. They never, they never bothered y'all. Okay. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever gave us any any shit about that. Right. People are so litigious these days, you know, Ivan. How people can be. Nah, yeah. Well, uh, what's what, what's cool about the about the group, and right, we got some cool shit happening right now. Is uh, is fortunately yes. we ended up doing um, we 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 uh, we're putting a record out this coming spring probably. 
we we signed nice. a record deal while we were in the pandemic. We had already really? been talking to this this guy, this company, Mascot Records, and we had a re- we had been recording some music over the last four or five years that we've been recording piecemeal, like when we had time off the road, a couple days here and there, and we put together a record. Yeah, this we got a, a, some new some new uh, a new uh, record coming out um, th- this this coming spring. And that's where do we go from here? That's where where do we go from here is the name of the record. Where do we go from here? Yes, and that's kind of funny that it's name it's tied name that it's kind of appropriate to where we at right. in this in this world right now. What do we do? Right. You know? Well, I, I well I saw a video that y'all put out Justice Twenty Twenty that that yes. you know addresses like all the the social justice protests that we've had this whole summer and has yeah, a lot of yeah. footage in it. Yeah, and then and then so then you follow that with where do we go from here? It's like I thought, good question. Where, where the fuck do we go? <laughs> I mean, do you have any thoughts on? Nah, you, you know, I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I mean, we all kind of sometimes the the unknown. It, it, it we get a little fearful of the unknown, but um, right. Sometimes it's good. Change is good. We figure something out. We figure some things out about ourselves, you know, and um change you know sometimes you got to just be, be open to it and see what happens you know because i the world life as we know it is 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 is, is no longer this is going to be some new normal yeah. shit that we're going to be faced with i mean how long before we're going to have real concerts and shit like that people a lot that's a, that's a yeah that's one big thing that people kind of don't really talk about a lot i mean we talk about it and we see people promoting save our stages and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff uh independent venues all over the country are suffering all you know all over the place but people don't really understand the plight of the musician our shit is just not right it's just you know we don't really have a a, a template for what we're really going to do in the coming in the near future i mean they've i've seen a couple of drive-in things they started doing and Things that I mean, obviously the vaccines happening now, so it'll be a while before we all can find some new normal, and it's it's kind of um, that's kind of where it is. So that's where do we go from here? Is basically kind of appropriate, you know. And I just wanted one more one more something funny I just thought of too. When mm-hmm. we were yep. in that, we we had this job in in Los Angeles in August, right? During the pandemic, we got a job to do some music for a film. And um, and we were very fortunate to get that because all of our friends, nobody was working at all. And we were out right. there doing this job for six weeks. So check Dumpster this out. Funk? Wow. Dumpster Funk was Dump- doing this? And our band Dumpster Funk. Yeah, we were doing okay, some, yeah, some music okay. for a film. And, and nice. um, this was something that had been sort of been been worked on since the beginning of, 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 uh, of, 20, of 20, uh, 2020. It kind of started, mm-hmm. kicked off in January of 2020, and we sorted out this uh, this deal that we were going to go do this music for this film, and it was planned to to start after Jazz Fest, but then obviously you know all hell broke loose and everything changed, and so we ended up we, we were able to do it this this project in in August for six weeks, so they were testing us they were testing us like twice a week, like twice mm-hmm. a week. 
there was this strict protocol, this COVID protocol and shit. And I, and I already had the shit, right? So I kind of felt right. a little bit like Superman, a little bit, you know, I already had the COVID okay. at that time. I'm, I'm, I figured I probably had the antibodies in my system, which I ended up finding out that I still had the antibodies in October. Okay. So I would just wanted to, I'm the only telling that story to tell you how many times I've been tested for the COVID like 15 fucking times. Yeah, yeah. I've had like 15 tests. And it's so funny was every time we would do these tests and I, everybody's like waiting to get tested and I'm watching everybody just wince and f- flinch when they stick that fuck that uh-huh. thing up your nose. And I'm like, bring it on, baby, you know. Yeah. So there you go. Nice, nice. Well that's 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 cool that you guys got new stuff that you that you even did recently that and, and then you had all that other stuff in the can that's that's coming out. Well that's very exciting, yeah. Ivan. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, man. That's that that's terrific. Well, Manny, that that uh, you have any any uh, closing thoughts or, or other? Uh, well, I just gotta ask Ivan one thing before we sign off because we've had a great show tonight. Uh, yes. uh, uh, Ivan. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear? Yeah, I got you. Uh, uh, did you sleep with Paula Abdul? Oh, no, no, you know what? No, man. No, I played on her record. And you know what? She wasn't even in the studio, dude. Okay. She wasn't even in the studio. She was a Laker girl when I in the eighties when I was, you know, I'm from LA. And she was yeah. hot, dude. Yeah. 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 And uh I I didn't never got close to her, but it it seems like you kinda got close to her, so I didn't. I just played on her record. <laughs> All right. And so record. you never saw her? You I never saw her? And you know, there's a there's a there's a couple that I could I can't I can't say anything. About. <laughs> there you go. Yes, because we don't kiss and tell. Yes, you, you have some some, you. some class and dignity. Yes, thank you. There's a couple of classics you would like. I think you would appreciate Manny. There's a couple of them. Well, yeah. Well, I might tell you off right. the record. I might tell you off the record one. All right. You, <laughs> can, you can, you can uh, cause she was hot to me at that time. You know? Oh yeah. No, she was a Lego girl. Yeah. She was a Lego girl. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you've been fabulous and uh, thank you for being on our show. Yes, Ivan. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Manny. Thank you all. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right. All right. So, Manny, uh, uh, as always, in the Trouble Nation, we like to say uh, trouble never ends. Yeah, the struggle continues. <laughs> okay. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Only the victim remains the victim while the truth slips through the system. Yet the goodness never sees the light of day. So we fight for what is right against injustice.
On your back if you're black or a Latin dude Latin Women dudes. can get it too These animals don't have a clue They'll pack you in a prime box With a back in the black and blues Hiding behind a badge Alibi is ironclad While children are dying fast Treated like expired trash Yeah, there's no substance We call it No rhyme or reason or purpose Why they hurt these kids More than excessive force It'll take your breath of course He didn't have a weapon But he's aggressively stepping towards Trigger happy savages Targeted in the city Inhabitants Our so-called authority Is embarrassing man Go get the kerosene can And burn it down again Ain't no comparison this way is drumming and racist rhetoric in the face of truth yeah. It's really just us Raise up a clutch fist This isn't justice This is disgusting If you ask me my name 